Man, you guys ever get like this weird kind of deja vu sense that happens? Like, man, I just saw something like this or I just heard something. It just something kind of triggers in your head that's kind of like deja vu. Well, we had a little bit of deja vu recently. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, Nick Saban retired. Uh, he is he is done. And right after that, the day after that, we reported it on this show. The very next day, well, another all-time great retired, and that is Bill Belichick. Uh, well, sorry, I say retired. He's not officially retired, but uh, him and the Patriots have parted ways. And uh, everyone pretty much saw this coming. Uh, things weren't looking the best for Belichick as of recent and the Patriots, and you just knew that it was going to cause a divorce, essentially, and that's what happened. Nick Saban, though, on the other hand, we saw his best coaching probably of his career with this team that he had this year, but he has accomplished so much, just like Bill Belichick, that there's really nothing left to prove. And although Belichick has not retired, there still is nothing really left for him to prove six Super Bowl victories as a head coach. I mean, most all time, you, you've surpassed a lot. And we're going to talk about his wins as well as a head coach. But you are going to see something completely different for the first time in a long time. And that is a new head coach at Alabama and now a new head coach in New England. It just, it feels weird. It really does. We are seeing this era this these legacies it's done you know there are still a lot of great coaches out there so i don't get me wrong there but when it comes to these guys if you've watched football like the nfl college football you can't go with a conversation without one of their names and rightfully so with their accomplishments but i want to talk about bill belichick's record as a head coach overall he's 302 and 156 in the regular season alone. In the playoffs, he gets even better. He's 31 and 13. But if you combine the two, he has a total of 333 wins and 178 losses. 333 wins puts him in second all time. I mean, Belichick has accomplished a lot, as I already talked about. The six Super Bowl wins, uh, it, that already has him up there. But now wins as well overall. I mean, it's being number two is not that bad unless you're a guy that just does not like losing, then you hate number two. But it's it's incredible what he has done. And when you had a guy like Tom Brady as your quarterback, things looked even better. Sometimes just being a head coach, it was our your job was already done because you had one of the greatest all time quarterbacks just right there. And as we know, Tom Brady, probably the biggest still of all time, the NFL draft, pick 199. And now look at what he's done. And so, but was there greatness because of each other? Was it? Only a one-man show as the level of greatness? Well, I'm going to throw out some numbers here. This is Bill Belichick's record with Tom Brady. That's 249 wins and 75 losses. What about without Brady? Well, without Brady as his quarterback, he's 83-104. and 104. 
But since Brady left, when he went to the Bucks and now retired, Bill Belichick is 29 and 39. So you look at those numbers and it kind of makes your eyes pop just like Ed did just now. Like, well, was he only great because of Brady? The numbers indicate that. I think we know uh, Belichick as a coach and you know a lot of people are scared of him. A lot of people don't like Bill Belichick, but he does have an amazing career behind him, but he also had an amazing quarterback as well. I don't want to take away his greatness, but I think it's safe to say Tom Brady is the GOAT, and rightfully so, just because we saw what he did after he left. There was always these talks, well, Brady's only good because of Belichick. Belichick's only good because of Brady. But what did Brady do when he left the Patriots? He went to the Buccaneers, and his first year there, he won a Super Bowl. David loved that. I know he did. And it. Tom Brady loved that. You know, I know Tom Brady, anytime you interview him and, and this question gets brought up, he gives the respect to Bill Belichick, and he should. But <clears throat> we all know that that kind of silenced some of the critics when the Bucks won and Tom Brady won. Well, Brady could do it without Belichick, but can Belichick do it without Brady? And I think the answer that we've seen since then is no, Belichick cannot do it without Brady. Well, so, you, know, you know what's really funny, Matthew, is that there are people who will still discredit uh, Brady's win in Tampa because they'll say, oh, well, Tampa's got a loaded roster. They got a bunch of weapon, weapons on, on offense. So, I, I mean, they do, but they don't. I mean, you look at when Leonard Fournette, who they had. What has Leonard Fournette done since then? Nothing. I don't think he can nope. keep a job yeah. on a roster right now. Yes, Mike Evans is incredible, but Chris Godwin, I feel like we don't hear his name at all, and I'm not trying to diss on your bucks, but what I'm saying is that, yes, uh, they are. They do have great talent. I mean, you make it in the NFL, you are a great talent. Mm-hmm. It was their defense that was also incredible that year. Let's not forget that. But the Patriots always have a great defense. So are we going to discredit Tom Brady and his Super Bowls because of that? We can't do that. Yes, we're used to the Patriots not having an all-pro wide receiver group out there. Yes, he had Gronk at tight end, and one year he had Randy Moss, but they lost that year. Uh, he's used to having the Edelmans, the Amadolas, uh, the He's used to having Chris Hogan's. Hogan's, yes, um, who played different positions in college, but Belichick somehow was like, you know, you're going to be a great ride receiver for us. But to go to Tampa Bay and have someone like Mike Evans, who has been an all-pro, well, of course they're going to say that. But in the end, Tom Brady is incredible. But Belichick has had one heck of a ride, and I'll be interested to see where he goes from there. But but where do the Patriots go from here? Ed, I mean, I, I think that there's already breaking news that there is a new head coach. Just kind of walked down the hall and went, hey, you want to be the coach? And he'll looky there. They have a coach now. It's Gerard Mayo. Gerard Mayo is the linebackers coach. He has been a Patriot ever since he came into the league in, 20, in 2008. He was drafted 10th overall that year, and he spent eight years playing for the Patriots and then turn around and became their linebackers coach just a couple of years later. And here we are just a few years after that. And all of a sudden, he's the head coach of the Patriots, which 
uh, do we trust Belichick to have groomed him? Because uh, when you look at Belichick's coaching tree, and we've talked about it on this show, it hasn't been the best results outside of that organization for these coaches that have come away from Bill Belichick's son, if you will. So, you know, it, it did Kraft, had did Robert Kraft really take the time to vet and look at everything that's necessary for the head coaching position? Or did he actually just take a recommendation like he took the recommendation for Bill Belichick from Bill Parcells, you know, when he was hired? That's the that's the question that I ask on that uh, because there's something about continuity of the Patriot way, but you've got to have somebody that is ready to be a head coach in the NFL to handle everything that comes along with that. Now, when you're talking about the quarterback, I think we all understand Mac Jones is not the answer. Neither is Billy Zappi. You know, so where do they go? They've got the number three pick in the draft this year for, you know, and there's a lot of quarterbacks sitting there that could be, you know, the face of a franchise. You know, Caleb Williams is already saying that he refuses to go to Chicago. If so, you know, he's trying to play that John Elway, you know, Eli Manning game that you have to trade your pick if you're going to pick me. And, you know, so there's that. That could leave them open to coming to New England. Uh, you've got Drake May. You've got Jalen Daniels. You've got Bo Nix. Michael Penix Jr. has just made a huge case for himself going into the pros. You know, and a little known name that when you're talking about NFL circles that are looking at it, you know, a value quarterback that's on the board, Michael Pratt from Tulane. You know, that is a name to to wonder about if they try and go fix some of the other uh, issues with that roster in the first round. Michael Pratt could be still be sitting there in the second round just waiting to be picked up. And it to me, I think it would be at least a decent shot uh, to get a value added pick. Uh, you know, when you're talking about Bill Belichick, the general manager. There's, there's GMs out there, uh, but there's two names that came up uh, when I was looking into this. Uh, Brant Tillis, he's the VP of football operations for the Chiefs. He's a salary cap guy. Robert Kraft is a money guy. That make no bones about it. He will. He's uh, being a salary cap guy. He's in the mold of. Howie Roseman. Now, Howie Roseman won the executive of the year two of the last six years for the Eagles. And, you know, that franchise has flourished with them. So, you know, might be worth taking a shot at him or, sorry, David, Mike Greenberg, uh, the assistant GM at Tampa. He's the guy that was the whiz in dealing with the COVID uh, salary cap to get all that talent around Brady that we were just talking about during the COVID era. Plus they, you know, as we are going to talk about a little, a little bit, the Buccaneers clinching the NFC South with more than $80 million of dead cap. 
that is a masterful job of somebody that can be a general manager and go into New England and kind of rework other, you know, and the contracts to make that train go forward again because it's been reversed ever since. You know, they do need to find somebody. It's not going to be somebody in-house because Robert Kraft and his son, Jonathan, they're the only executives that are listed on their website. That's it. That's all they're showing. Anybody else in the building? Uh, they're kind of hidden. You know, they, they're like, don't pay attention behind the curtain. We are who you want to talk to. You know, so they've really got to get, now that they've got the coach in line, they need to get this GM hire done. And then they can work on that quarterback uh, like we were talking about just a second ago. Yeah, I mean, the Patriots definitely have their work cut out uh, in front of them of things that they need to do. But where does Bill Belichick, though, go from here? Is he done? Is he going to call things quits? I mean, David, are you hearing anything about Bill Belichick and maybe what his future is looking like? Well, I think a question that we we need to ask ourselves, guys, is – is Belichick's pride going to cause him to uh, want, him pers- want him to pursue at least one more opportunity? Like, is he the kind of guy where it's like, okay, I was just practically forced out of uh, New England and I don't want my uh, coaching career to uh, end this way. But, you know, if I was Belichick, I would just go ahead and call it quits. I mean, the man has nothing left to prove. And to be honest with you guys, I think that Belichick is going to um, call it quits because I truly believe that Belichick has been checked out pretty much uh, since the Patriots won the last Super Bowl back in uh, 2018. Um, I think uh, I think he's just grown tired, uh, grown weary of the way that the league has um, the way the league has has evolved, and I I just think he has uh, no interest and being a part of it. Um, but also I just, I, I, I have to wonder like, honestly, what team would even want Bill Belichick as their coach? Now I know that sounds crazy. Like, are you kidding me? Like what team would not want a, uh, a coach who won six Super Bowls? Well, the truth is guys is that Tom Brady and Bill Belichick had they had a very unique working relationship, the kind that truly only worked uh, for them at the place uh, they were at. And I truly do not think that Belichick would work well anywhere else and certainly wouldn't work well with any other uh, quarterback, in my opinion. And, you know, we've seen this uh, before. This is not exactly uh, uncommon. I mean, take, for example, uh, Sean Payton and uh, Drew, Drew Brees. You know, before they found each other, they weren't really going anywhere. And then Drew Brees um, goes to New Orleans, and they form arguably the best uh, quarterback uh, coaching t- tandem in the NFL behind just Bill Belichick and uh, Drew Brees. Well, now Drew Brees is retired, and uh, um, Sean Payton really – hasn't found much success with Russell Wilson the same way um, that he did with uh, Drew Brees. So because of that unique working relationship that Belichick had with Brady that I do not think he's going to find with any other quarterback and really the unique working relationship that he had with New England, I don't think he's going to find anywhere else. And that to me is the biggest reason why I think Belichick will eventually uh, call it quits for good. Yeah, you know, I... I could see if maybe 
He had a little bit of a better year this year. I mean, he's 14 wins away, and I'm sure that has to itch, you know, on on someone. But, uh, I mean, the fact of the matter is the Patriots and Belichick did not have a good uh, season this year. So there's a lot of climbing up to do, but – for me, I it sucks to to see this, but it, we're essentially seeing an end of an era. Uh, not seeing the Patriots in the playoffs, um, and Bill Belichick, you know, ultimately will most likely choose retirement. We are seeing an end of an era, but that's just an end of an era for them. There is now some new young guns, some young cats out there that are ready to prove something and some new faces in the playoffs. And that's what I want to talk about right now because we've got some matchups happening this week and first round of playoffs here. And it's crazy for me to even say this because I'm a Steelers fan, but we have two up-and-coming franchises right here that are looking great going into the playoffs, and that is the Cleveland Browns and the Houston Texans. And Ed, being our uh, Texas <coughs> leader, why don't you want to kind of talk to us about this matchup? Well, this matchup, you know, it starting at the top, this is two coach of the year candidates, you know, going locking horns, so to speak, uh, because you've got D'Amico Ryan's a rookie head coach that has taken the franchise from three 13 and one to 10 and seven and a division champion in one year. That is not easy to do in the NFL. Then you've also got Kevin Stefanski for the Browns went from seven and ten to eleven and six. He didn't win the division because it's it's the AFC North. Everybody's good in that division. Uh, but the difference that makes him relevant in the Coach of the Year conversation is the fact that he has had four different starting quarterbacks. You know, he started with Deshaun Watson. He gets hurt. Dorian Thompson-Robinson kind of played around with it a little bit, you know, and eventually settled on none other than Joe Flacco. You know, I mean, that is an astounding turn of events going from Deshaun Watson to Joe Flacco, but they are rolling coming into into, uh, the playoffs, and it is really – Flacco with his wide receivers, you know, Miles Garrett has just been a terror on defense. In fact, the you know, not only is it a matchup against the likely two coach of the year candidates, but also the likely defensive player of the year and likely offensive player of the year, uh, offensive rookie of the year playing in this game, you know, with Miles Garrett and CJ Stroud. What a treat this is going to be to start off the playoff weekend. Uh, when you're looking at the Cleveland defense, it's the number one defense in the league uh, at 270 yards per game, but they're also number one in third down uh, against and fourth down against, which is amazing. So, <clears throat> you know, <clears throat> CJ Stroud is going to have to be able to pick up the pieces and really spread them out uh, to uh, get this uh, game going. Uh, With uh, the history of these two franchises right now, the the Texans are happy that this game 
at home because they have not won a playoff game on the road in their franchise. And they're four and one at home. So they feel like they needed this game to be in Houston uh, for them to have a shot at this. And they got that. And on the flip side, the Browns haven't even played a home game. Any playoff game that they have had since their return in 1999 has been on the road, you know, and they are, they've only had one win out of those. So, and I think Matthew knows which game that was, sorry, 2020 against the Steelers. Uh, But going back to the return of Joe Flacco in the playoffs, this is the same guy that 10 years ago won a Super Bowl MVP with the Baltimore Ravens and was let go from them, you know, I want to say 2018. And between Baltimore and Cleveland, he had stops in Denver and the New York Jets. He had a record of 3-14. and Talk about pulling somebody off the heap to come in and quarterback your franchise. This is it. You know, but how has he returned the favor? He's four and one with Cleveland, and he is using a receiving core of Amari Cooper, David Njoku, Elijah Moore. They are tearing up the field, down the field, and creating opportunities uh, to get points and just uh, let the defense do what it does best, and that is get after the quarterback with Miles Garrett. You know, just being a terror all over the field. I mean, David, have you seen uh, some of the same stuff I'm seeing on that? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's a reason uh, why the Browns were able to achieve a winning record um, and clinch a uh, playoff spot, uh, despite having a revolving door at the quarterback position. And that is because they have a nasty defense. Um, led, of course, by none other than uh, Miles Garrett. Um But the other thing, too, um, and you mentioned him, I know he's getting talked about as coach of the year, um, and he'll get a ton of coach of the year votes, but I don't think Kevin Stefanski truly gets the respect that he deserves, because this is is the second, maybe the third time that that the Browns have had a a winning season in like the last four or five, maybe six years, or, or, you know, whatever. All have come under Stefanski, and let's not forget. I mean, this is this is a franchise where it just seemed like hopelessness was synonymous with with them. You know, um, these are the same guys who went zero and sixteen back in like two thousand seventeen, maybe two thousand eighteen, whenever it was. And here Stefanski comes, and he just completely turns the franchise around. I mean. I don't know if the Browns are ever going to win a Super Bowl under Stefanski, but my gosh, like he is far and away the best coach that they've had in a long time. I mean, what a what an absolutely huge get um, that that the GM made uh, getting him. Um, I don't know if it's the same GM or if it was a different GM before, but point is, kudos to Cleveland for getting Stefanski because he has been phenomenal for them. Yeah, he really has been. And let's not forget, not only have they lost their starting quarterbacks and have you know kind of fumbled around until they landed Joe Flacco, they also lost Nick Chubb, who is arguably top three running back in the NFL. 
And it is hard to replace a guy like that. And correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, was it the Browns that I saw sign Delvin Cook to their playoff roster? Is that the team he landed on? I thought it was uh, – oh. Oh, no, it was Baltimore. You yeah, know what? Ravens. I, I stand corrected. No, the I, AFC North, I, you know? I remember. I remember because, like, because as, as, as soon as I saw the news, I, I was like, oh, F off, Baltimore, as, as if you need more weapons on your roster. Well, I mean, they're, they're, they have a curse at running back. So, I mean, it's not yeah, going to make much of a, a difference there. But uh, yeah. they, they have great chances with Lamar Jackson. But I want to talk about also another game, you know, so, Miami, when you hear of Miami, you think of uh, palm trees, bikinis, pina coladas. Well, <laughs> not this week. You will not see that in Kansas City. You won't even see leaves on trees. You're going to see several layers of clothes. And gosh, if you're drinking a frozen drink, you must be drunk. But David, talk about this game because this is a crazy game because on paper, you're seeing homecoming, you're seeing speed. But are we really going to see that? Well, let me just say real quick, Matthew, that if you're drinking a frozen drink in Kansas City this weekend, brother, you're not drinking that thing. You're eating that thing, you know. Um, but, yeah, you know, guys, like well, when, I, when I look at the Dolphins and, and the Chiefs, um, the Dolphins had a fun season. And certainly if you're a Dolphins fan, you really couldn't have asked for anything more. But I've also talked about how the Dolphins really are the Dallas Cowboys of the AFC. I mean, they only have one win against a winning team, which is funny enough against the Cowboys. Um, but they're one in five against teams with winning records. And some of those teams, they got absolutely uh, trounced. And so I don't see the Dolphins as true contenders. Um, and certainly the fact that they're playing, playing in a climate that they're not used to doesn't help at all. But now when you look at the Chiefs, I'm not really impressed with the Chiefs either. And I know it's easy to say, well, yeah, but they got they got Patrick Mahomes, they got they got Andy Reid, like they'll they'll turn they'll turn it around. Yeah, maybe. But I just I really do not see that happening at all. You know, I, I know people talk about how how last year uh they lost uh Tyree Kill to funny enough, the Dolphins, um, and yet they still won the Super Bowl. But di- the difference is that last year uh, Patrick Mahomes still had Travis Kelsey as his security blanket. Well, he doesn't really have that anymore. I mean, yes, Travis Kelsey is still playing, but Travis Kelsey has made a significant downgrade this year. Um, you know, he had last year, he had like, I think 1300, close to 1300 yards and, um, and, uh, like 12 touchdowns. Um, and, uh, but this year he had, well, he had he had below a thousand yards and only like five touchdown catches, I think. So like well below what he had last year and just well below the standard of which we're used to seeing seeing from him. Um, but even so, even though the Chiefs offense has taken quite a step back, the defense is elite, um, you know, among the best up there with the likes of Baltimore and, and, and Cleveland and, you know, th- those guys. Um, you know, they're, they're led by, uh, Chris Jones and George Karlaftis, uh, two guys up front who, uh, both have 10 plus sacks. Um, so even though the chiefs offense has taken a step back, I do trust this defense enough to, uh, get the job done. Um, so I do think the chiefs are going to, uh, beat the dolphins and 
listen, Patrick Mahomes is still Patrick Mahomes. And I think he's earned enough respect to at least, you know, pull something out of, out of a rabbit hat for a game like this. So I'm going to say, I'm going to say chiefs, uh, 30 dolphins, 22. Okay. Okay. Yeah. It's, you know, we have seen kind of the, the chiefs falling off uh, a little bit with actually kind of a lot of, of how they we are used to seeing the Chiefs, but you know they remind me of we talked about the Patriots earlier. I I I used to always see a Patriots team, mainly their defense, coming to the postseason, not really being one of the best defenses, but the postseason hits and they become one of the most elite defenses you'll see out on that field. They just knew when to step up when it mattered, and Mahomes has proven that. Granted, this year he does not have as much talent on offense that we are used to seeing, and he's got receivers who he cannot count on to catch a ball to save their life. So it, it is going to be weird and see, but I'm interested to see how Mahomes does with this team because he has made a name for himself in the postseason especially. But, Ed, I mean, do you kind of agree with the Chiefs' take there? Of course I do. This is a team that leads the league and drop passes by more than 10. That is a tremendous amount. And the team after that second place team is like another 10 behind them. They cannot seem to hang on to the ball. And it's really getting to Patrick Mahomes, you know, psyche because he's getting to the point where he can't trust to run the offense through those receivers like it's meant to do because he doesn't know if that ball is actually going to stay there or if they're going to have to do it all over again. Yeah. Well, speaking of dropping balls, uh, there is a team that is actually tied for first in the least amount of drop balls. And that is surprisingly enough, the Pittsburgh Steelers. Pittsburgh Steelers this weekend are going into Buffalo to play the Buffalo Bills, who is the number two seed in the AFC. And guys, just how hot is Buffalo? Well, the team, the Buff Buffalo, is hot. The city, not so much. And I'm going to talk about that more. But Buffalo, I talked on here just a couple episodes ago, just how hot Buffalo Bills are in the month of December and January, and since 2020. Uh I could be wrong here, but I want to say now they are up to 21-2 in in the months of December and January since 2020. But the key word that I left out there is regular season. Those are numbers in the regular season since 2020 in those months. But postseason, they are 4-4 since 2020 in the postseason. And, you know, with the postseason, you, you lose, you're out. But... Four and four, when you look at it, do they just get stumped in the playoffs? Or or are they losing to a legit title contender, a better team? Because if you have looked at some of their losses, you're looking at the Chiefs twice, the Bengals. Well, and what do those three teams right there have in common? Well, those years, they went to the Super Bowl. So are they being stumped or are they losing to a better team? But Buffalo, though, they find ways to win and enter the postseason as one of the hottest teams as they have now won five in a row to finish the year. Their last loss, guys, was in November. That's a pretty hot team. And they got hot at the right time because Miami, although Miami, the city is hot, 
The team, not so much. They dropped off. They fell off, much kind of like the Jaguars, but the Jaguars didn't make the playoffs. Miami still did. But just in time, the Bills come out of nowhere, resurrect themselves, and now are the number two seed as they host the Pittsburgh Steelers. Pittsburgh Steelers, though, can they survive without their star player, their star defensive player in T.J. Watt? Well, as non-biased as I could be, and I'm a Steelers fan, so of course I'm going to sprinkle a little bit of bias in there, but this is why I truly feel T.J. Watt is the defensive player of the year and should be in the running pretty much every year, and he usually is in the running every year. The Steelers are 1-10 in 10 without T.J. Watt. 1-10. in 10. That's not pretty. And if you look at that number right there, you're already thinking, well, this team's going to be 1-11 probably come su- Sunday. But I haven't seen a player so valuable for their team, well, since Jordan Travis with Florida State. <laughs> so we saw what happened there. Jordan Travis was the most valuable player ever, uh, just didn't show in the Heisman votes. But what, and just like the likes of all the other greats right now in the league currently, Miles Garrett, Aaron Donald, uh, Parson, Micah Parsons, he is a freak when he is of nature when he's out there on the field. But he's even more noticeable when he's not. Like I mentioned, the Steelers are 1-10 in 10 without him. And although the Steelers do have plenty of other pieces on the defense, it just usually isn't enough to overcome what presence. So I do think the Steelers right now have a better chance than they normally did with the 1-10, in 10, but I just feel like it's going to be very tough to overcome and replace him and that productivity that he brings each and every game. But guys, as I mentioned earlier, this is going to be a cold game. This is going to be not just cold. It's not going to be as cold as the Chiefs game. It's going to be snowy. Right now, it's going to be very tough because the weather is predicting up to three feet of snow and winds, get this, up to 60 miles an hour, if not more. How the heck are you going to play in a game like that? And this is where I want to know, how many times will these guys just run the ball? And I, I, you know, in the age of betting, there's a bet for almost everything. I am interested to see the over and under on how many throwing attempts. Is it going to be in the single digits? Because when it's that cold, and of course that windy, that ball is like a rock. It's going to be hard to catch, It's and it's going to be hard to throw. So I'm anticipating a heavy run game. And guys, who does that benefit the most? Well, right now? The Pittsburgh Steelers. The Steelers did not get off to the best start. And they, well, I mean, they started off pretty decent. But they weren't the Pittsburgh Steelers that everyone has known them to be. A run-heavy team. Um, And they ended, though, the season as a run-heavy team. And the combination of Najee Harris and Jalen Warren has actually really taken off in the NFL. But this game is going to be a tough game. The snow, the wind, the coldness. Uh, I'm expecting a heavy run, but Josh Allen, you know, there's gonna be a lot of questions around him, but when the weather is going to be like this, it's hard to really judge a quarterback. He has not been the most reliable, um, but Josh Allen is still a great player. 
So I want to see how he handles this offense with this weather and just how many times he's going to be able to actually throw the ball because it's not going to be pretty. So, But he still does have Stefan Diggs out there, who is an incredible receiver. But without Gabe Davis, um, his weapons are going to be a little thin out there. So that's how I'm looking at it at things. But, I mean, David mentioned the cold in Kansas City. Ed, uh, it's going to be tough to play in this type of environment. You agree, Ed? Absolutely, and let, let's just go ahead and ask the question. At what point is it almost irresponsible to play games in these kinds of conditions? I mean, because if it's it's not for the fans, uh, because the fans, <clears throat> yes, we've seen huge crowds in cold weather games, you know, at Lambeau Field, at Orchard Park, and Cleveland, and Kansas City. But is that really a necessary thing to go ahead and continue to play these games in weather conditions that are, you know, quite frankly, dangerous, you know, you know, between the wind and the cold? Because I remember back from, you know, Dan Fouts, he talked about still having frostbite on his fingers from playing in the playoff game in Cincinnati, uh, known as the Freezer Bowl uh, in the 81 playoffs. I mean, this is this was 40 years ago, and he still talks about it. And you can see where his fingertips are blue. They are permanently that color because of having to play in that type of condition. Is that even a necessary thing to have happen? Let's, you know, be smart, NFL. I realize you're making a lot of money on these TV contracts, but please do not let the TV contracts dictate, you know, a terrible situation that could possibly happen, not just for your players, but for your fans as well. Yeah, uh, you know, there's a reason why the question has been floating around. Is this going to uh, change? Is it going to be hosted at a different uh, stadium? Uh, uh, I know this is kind of... At contradicting but bill's mafia that i know they'll show up regardless those guys will do anything to jump through a table um if should they go down a barrel in niagara falls and they do it but uh it's still about the safety not only of the fans and the players so uh even though the nfl did say today that they had no intentions i'm still seeing though some reports especially with it being a state of emergency with this weather uh coming in they are still monitoring it. So keep your eye out and see if this game does change. But as of right now, it is still going to uh, stay the same. But uh, teams that play indoors? And as, oh, go ahead, Ed. Well, as, and as far as the gameplay is concerned, like you were talking about, uh, keep in mind Josh Allen has 15 rushing touchdowns this season. So that running game for the Steelers – you know, you're going to have a running game from the Bills as, on the Bills side as well, but it's not going to be just the running backs. Josh Allen will be the offense. You know, there's not going to be, you know, a lot of stuff, a lot of digs and a lot of Kincaid and a lot of that. It's going to be him, mm-hmm. you know, and that's going to be throughout the game. Yeah. 
He, I mean, he's he is a big guy. Josh Allen is a big guy, especially on the goal line. It only makes sense to to have him running it in because he's hard to take down, especially in the cold. It's going to be hard to tackle, so expect a lot of uh, ta- missed tackles. But as I was saying about teams that are playing indoors, well, uh, Dallas Cowboys, they ain't got nothing to worry about. The only thing they have to worry about is choking because that's what they do well at. But Green Bay, who's used to playing in the cold, they are not going to be playing in the cold as they play the Dallas Cowboys in Dallas. So, Ed, I know this, this Packers team's your team, but how are you seeing this? Well, historically, the Packers love playing in Cowboys Stadium. I mean, we won a Super Bowl there. We've beaten the Cowboys in the playoffs there. <laughs> you know, that's... I mean, that's twice, Matthew. I'm sorry. That's twice I got you on that. I know. Uh, So, but this is, you know, there's a lot of storylines with this game, which, by the way, not many people are giving Green Bay a shot, including Vegas. They have this at already a seven-point favorite for Dallas, over 50-and-a-half points at minus 325. If you – Put your money on the Packers, you're getting plus 265. So that's there's a lot of money leaning toward Dallas, and for good reason. You know, this is Mike McCarthy's first game against Green Bay in the playoffs. You know, <clears throat> the last time the Packers were in Cowboy Stadium for the playoffs, McCarthy was on the Green Bay sideline watching Aaron Rodgers play a magician act. You know, 12 seconds left, so Mason Crosby could win it as time expired. You know, and we all remember the meme of the Titanic song. And yeah, you know, that whole thing, which was all all fun and games at that time. uh, But I don't want to get into what happened after that. (laughs) Uh, But, you know, Mike McCarthy, it's a completely different team than, you know, what he knew in Green Bay with Matt LaFleur, with Jordan Love. You know, and the whole idea for Jordan Love is keeping it steady. You know, over the last eight games, 18 touchdowns and one interception against four, you know, including four playoff teams in that eight-game stretch. You know, that is something that, you know, you take a look at the age of this team and you're like, how are they doing this? Well, being young can be a weapon in your favor. They don't know that they're supposed to be this good. You know, you have Dante Wicks. Dante, uh, I forget his first name. Wicks. You've got Jalen Reed. You've got Romeo Dobbs. Uh, you've got uh, Kraft at tight end. And, you know, now that you've got Aaron Jones, you know, with A.J. Dillon in the backfield, I mean, there's a lot to be said for you know, what the Packers have to offer. Uh, going into this game, but really it kind of comes down to what we already know of the Cowboys. You know, they are, I take a look at these two teams going into this game and it is two different types of snakes. In my opinion, the Cowboys are the Viper. They will quick strike you. They will snap at you and they will get you and poison you until you give up, you know, because you know, they they do have the number one completion percentage in the league. You know, passing yards per game. Uh, you know, <clears throat> you know, but on the other side, 
Green Bay will squeeze you out, uh, so to speak, very anaconda-like, you know, just running the ball. They have they run the ball way more than what Dallas does. They keep that other offense on the sideline. They keep a steady diet down the field. They'll take their shots, but they keep that steady diet, whereas Dallas is trying to, you know, throw a haymaker at you, you know, get those fangs in you really early and then just see it just kind of lay down after a while. Uh, so it's really two separate identities colliding in this matchup. And it's going to be a fun way to see if the Packers inexperience of the situation is going to be an asset or a detriment with Dak Prescott. You know, he's trying to make a name for himself in the playoffs. Everybody thinks of him as a quarterback that just can't get it done. Well, this year with Mike McCarthy as the uh, play caller, he has changed up how the plays are being run, and that has created a lot more explosive plays for him and CeeDee Lamb to become one of those dynamic duos in the passing game, but also tons of open space for the other receivers, Michael Gallup and, uh, and company as well. So, you know, I'm really interested to see how that all kind of transpires. Is it going, I realize the time of possession is probably going to stay the same, you know, about 35 minutes to Green Bay, 25 minutes to Dallas. The difference is who is, are the Cowboys going to have those sniper-like things uh, bite into the Packers and, you know, kill them off early? Or will the Packers kind of squeeze their way until the Cowboys submit? Yeah. You know, gosh, you know, I, this is why I love the postseason. I love the playoffs because that is such, it is, it is a great matchup, uh, even though uh, the money we know is being thrown uh, towards the Cowboys way for this game, but it is I just love the postseason. One, because it could be unpredictable. But two, you get these matchups, and I love your analogies with the Viper and the Anaconda uh, with this Green Bay and uh, Dallas game. But being home in the playoffs is such a huge advantage. Um, But right now I'm going to talk about a different type of home. And if you are fans of rock, you know of Motley Crue. If you don't know who they are, and you are fans of the movie Hot Tub, Hot Tub Time Machine, you know them as Motley Lou. And their most famous song in that movie was, um, I'm on my way, I'm on my way, home sweet home. And guys, who's coming home this weekend? Well, none other than Matthew Stafford. He's coming back to Detroit, guys, where he spent his first 12 years in the NFL. And uh, before they dealt him in a trade to uh, the Rams, well, and he ended up winning a Super Bowl with the Rams. So Matthew Stafford, this is a home sweet home for him. He has a lot of history there, a lot of love for the city of Detroit, and they should have a lot of love for him as well. But this is the playoffs, guys. They've got their sheriff. They've got Jared Goff at, at their quarterback. And the Rams, they've got Matthew Stafford. So you have to put that love to the side for, you know, the time of the game. But this is a monument, guys, for Detroit. We talked about them. Them winning the division first time in 30 years. Well, this is also the first time they have a home playoff game 
in 30 years. I mean, the Steelers have won a Super Bowl there before they have even hosted a playoff game there. That's how long it's been. But there's a lot of small little dynamic things in this game to really look out for. And first thing is the obvious. Can anybody on that team cover Puka Nakua? Guys, he set record. He set a record this year. I mean, he's got 105 receptions for 1,486 yards, which is an average of 14.2 yards a catch. And man, does that remind you of someone else? Well, he plays on the same team. His name's Cooper Cup. Don't forget about him, too. It's going to be hard to cover both those guys on the field at the same time. A healthy Cooper Cup, let's not forget, was a triple crown in the NFL. This guy was everything. Everything you needed him to be, he was that guy. Well, you know who's looking like that? That's Puka Nukua, who is a rookie, guys, who will probably be the runner-up for Offensive Rookie of the Year to C.J. Shroud. But if it wasn't for Shroud, Puka is going to win this easily, and rightfully so, especially with the injuries he dealt with with uh, Matthew Stafford in the quarterback situation earlier on in the year. But he broke this record that was in the book since 1960, held by Bill Roman of the Houston Oilers. This is all the way back in the AFL, guys. So this has been a record. It's been around for a while. Granted, there's more games now, but it is still a record broken nonetheless. So covering Pukanukua is not going to be easy for this Detroit team. But speaking of Detroit, there's some injury news, and that actually is positive, possibly, injury news, and that's Sam Laporta. When they got rid of uh, TJ Hawkinson at tight end, I was like, what are you doing? But they somehow found a diamond in the rough with Sam Laporta, guys. And I'm seeing several reports that are pretty much saying that Laporta is probably going to play. We saw this knee injury happen in the finale. This is week 18, and he had a knee injury. No one really expected him to be playing. Well, he practiced today. Dan Campbell was asked, is he going to play? And he had this smirk on his face that pretty much said yes. Uh, yes, they want to. They don't want to rush him, but they know Sam Laporta is actually an amazing tight end, and they are going to need him in every way in this game. But I honestly see the Rams coming in here, and I see the Rams winning. To me, they just seem like a better team right now. Uh, Matthew Stafford does have this experience uh, in the postseason. And I just, I really feel like this Rams team is going to rain on Detroit's parade. But then Matthew Stafford's going to have his homecoming game, and well, he's going to come out the winner. So that's how I'm kind of seeing this game. But I know Dave has been dying since the beginning of this show to talk about his team, the Tampa Bay Bucks, as they host the Philadelphia Eagles, who made the Super Bowl last year. I, how are you going to see this, David, bias aside? Well, guys, when I'm looking at the Bucks and the Eagles, I am looking at two teams that are both on the opposite ends of each other. Um, through 11 games, the Eagles were 10 and one. My Bucks, we were four and seven. But in the last six games, the Eagles have lost five of their last six. Meanwhile, the Bucks have won five of their last six. So as I said, truly on opposite ends of, of you know, opposite ends of each other right here. And, you know, for my, for my bucks, um, we really did not have an, an identity um, before. Like we didn't really know what, what kind of a team we wanted to be. Well, now we figured out our identity and our identity is just simply grinding out wins, you know? Um, and then meanwhile, I don't think the Eagles 
know exactly uh i don't think they know exactly what kind of team they are um and i think that uh you know i we we've talked about it before um but like the loss of their uh defensive coordinator gannon i mean truthfully um, both their offense and their defense have downgraded, but I'm not so worried about, I'm not really worried that much about the downgrade of, of other offense. I think the offense still did decent. Um, yes, it was worse than last year, but still decent. It's the defense that I'm worried about because you want to talk about downgrade. Well, again, guys, let me tell you. Losing Jonathan Gannon to the Arizona Cardinals was a massive loss because since losing him last year, the Eagles were first in the NFL in total defense. This year, they are 26th. Last year, the Eagles led the league in sacks. And again, if I recall correctly, they actually broke the record for most sacks in the season or they were darn near close to it. This year, they are 19th in sacks. Now, in fairness, it should be noted that the Eagles are still a top five team in pressures. So they're still getting to the quarterback. But still, when you when you're not getting when you're not generating sacks the way that you did, you know, last year, the near record breaking pace that, that you were at, you're obviously not going to have that same kind of uh, impact. Um, and listen, when it comes to uh, Sirianni, um, I, I think he's done great for Philadelphia, but I think one area where he failed this year is coordinators. You know, after losing both of his, both of his coordinators, he obviously failed because both of the guys he has right now are obviously not working out. So I imagine, um, I don't think the Eagles are going to, uh, win the Super Bowl. We'll see what happens, uh, on Monday and I'll give my prediction for that very soon. Um, but I don't think the Eagles are going to make the Super Bowl, and I imagine that um, that Sirianni is going to fire both of his coordinators. Maybe not his offensive coordinator, because like I said, I don't think the Eagles were terrible offensively, but he'll definitely need to fire his uh, defensive coordinator um, at least. That was a complete whiff there. Um, but at the end of the day, guys, this just comes down to the Eagles stumbling into the playoffs. The Bucks are one of the hottest teams. And plus, given the fact that it is at Raymond James Stadium, give me the Bucks over the Eagles 21 to 17. All right, man. There you got there you have it, folks. I mean, uh, we have an exciting slate of playoff matchups going up, but we have some more exciting news and uh, I want to talk about this. And uh, ladies, have you ever wondered what it is guys talk about behind closed doors when they're with their bros. Gentlemen, are you tired of all the feminized chick shows where the dudes are just censoring themselves because ladies are present or they just don't want to get canceled? Well, if yes, you need to check out this new show from American Daily Press called Guys Night. It's just three dudes talking about dude stuff. No script, no uh, planning, no professionalism. Just the kind of conversation you'd find at the pub after a long day's of work or at the barracks day room after duty hours. Um, so feel free, drop in, subscribe, like, and leave a comment uh, to join the conversation. Uh, Dave and Rob like to read the best ones and answer questions in the next show. Phil likes to read 
the worst ones. Well, because they make him <laughs> laugh. So tune in, guys. Grab an ice cold beverage of your choice and hang out with the guys tonight. So check that out, guys. Uh, I know they'd appreciate it. We would appreciate it. But we'd also appreciate if you hit the like, subscribe button on our channel as well. Share these videos. Drop in the comments your predictions with the playoff matchups happening, how you feel about Bill Belichick and the Patriots separating because, well, guys, that is a big breaking news story. But playoffs, this is where champions are made. I know that's kind of obvious, but it's true. Who, what are you made of? And this is where it happens. So uh, with that being said, though, guys, we are rounding third and we are headed for home.